Welcome to This Sustainable Life, Solve for Nature. Our guests are the heroes that are working to save our world from climate change, pollution, and the destruction of our natural world. We hear their stories and solutions, and then offer them a chance to take on a challenge to make their own lives more joyful and fulfilling by exploring their values. We focus on awareness of the environment and action. Join us in building a community dedicated to living better sustainably. Martin Williams is the co-founder, president, and chief innovation officer of Above Food. He has over 20 years experience in consumer packaged goods, or CPG, in innovation, marketing, operations, and product development. Now, with Above Food, he's working on producing and distributing identity-preserved ingredients in North America, Asia, Europe, and Africa. In short, they're trying to make plant-based foods that are delicious, organic, better for you, better for the planet, and transparent. That is, not foods that are actually see-through, but foods that are traceable. They believe you should know who is making your food, where it's coming from, and exactly what's in it. No more smoke and mirrors from the foods we eat. Today, we're gonna spend some time covering a bit of all of that. What kind of foods they're making, how they manage transparent food chains, and how to make plant-based foods healthy and delicious. So let's dive in. Here's Martin Williams. Martin, how are you? I'm excellent today, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's starting to get into those summer months and Hawaii starts to get a little warm in the summer months. So uh, we have six months of winter. So bring the summer on. I'm in Toronto, Canada. Oh, yeah. So you're probably getting what is it starting to get colder then or no, no, the summer is here. It's in full force. I love it. I, you know, from from about May until late October, it's a pretty magical place. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I've I've never been up to Canada, but I'd love to get up there at some point because there's just so much beautiful nature up there. Yeah, I mean, you definitely need to come. There's, there's a lot to see. I mean, it's a it's a massive country, but for where you are in Hawaii, flying into Vancouver and then making the trek across the country would be an incredible ad- adventure. Yeah, definitely. All righty. Well, let's get into it right now. We are here today to talk about Above Food, a company that was established very recently in 2019 to develop and distribute premium whole plant alternatives to meat and dairy. Do you want to talk a little bit about Above Food and what you do there? I would love to. So Above Food, while we did establish it as a as a Above Food Corporation in 2019, it goes back to about 2016. In 2016, the original two co-founders who are kind of agribusiness pioneers really saw a vision of owning custody of plant proteins and plant ingredients from seed to farm gate. And so established a business called Purely Canada Foods 2016, grew that business to a point and in 2019 had the idea to build a food company at the other end, which was a CPG business called Above Food. We ran those two separately for a while and then and then we had the idea to bring these two things together, thinking it's a much stronger proposition to be able to talk not seed to farm gate, but indeed seed to fork. How do you get sustainability traceability and ultimately nutrient density when you have custody of the best plant proteins in the world. And this isn't us saying this, this is objectively all of our cultivation, all of our agriculture is in the Northern Plains of the United States and the Western prairies of Canada, which is according to UNESCO, the best place in the world to grow the quote unquote new proteins. Now, if you're in agriculture, you tend to take a longer lens. And so these are proteins started to grow 30, 35 years ago, and they're still called the the new proteins. And so think <laughs> chickpeas and, and lentils and green peas and fava beans and 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 flax seeds, things of those natures that are now being used into the plant protein world. And so this, you know, above food really kind of exists as as a B2B business that services global markets and a B2C business that services consumer markets. In the middle, there's an, there's a part of our business called branded advanced ingredients that really is proprietary formulations designed for product development teams, R&D teams, ingredient providers, because we, we, we do have some incredible differentiation that I can't get, can't wait to get into. 
Yeah. So, wow. So you guys kind of have your hands in all the different areas. It's not just the production of the food itself, but you're also doing a lot of the marketing research and a lot of the other things associated with plant-based foods as well. Yeah. I mean, there's, we are quite unique in that it, we have an incredible agribusiness foundation, right? We've got hundreds of thousands of acres that we contract to grow under very strict protocols to ensure that, that we're able to have that, you know, a degree of sustainability that candidly is unmatched, a degree of, of insight into our supply chain that's really tough to build ex post facto. And nutritional profiles of these proteins that that are indeed superior and so it really starts with this idea of you know a foundational asset that has custody and then it's really about well where do we where do we start to add more value to these plant proteins ingredients is one and then ultimately consumer brands and so you're not going to see a lot of consumer brands at the at the one end of the spectrum that really understand the foundational part of, of our business, which is agribusiness. And, and similarly, you're not going to see a lot of you know, ingredient providers that really understand the CPG end of things. And that's why we've got four co-founders and each of us play a very specific role within the broad value chain to bring this whole seed to fork value proposition to life. Right. And I assume you're, you're one of those four that you talked about. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is exactly that you do there? Yeah. So I am, a, I am our president Chief Innovation Officer, co-founder of Above Food Brands, which is our dedicated B to C segment of our of our business. And so I've been in the CPG world for ooh, longer than I'll care to admit, over 20 years uh, in varying capacities. It, food was really my first love. Uh -huh. um, I love my family, but food really came first. My mother's Italian. We always had a garden. I was always mucking about in the garden. And so food was really a first love. I knew I was going to work in food. I worked in restaurants. I worked in, in grocery stores. I was always in food in some way, shape or form in the last you know 15 years professionally. Got mm -hmm. to work with some of the biggest food and, and beverage brands in the world as an innovation advisor. So helping them build adjacent businesses. You know, what big food companies are really great at is growing incrementally. What they're not so good at is really recognizing where there are adjacencies that they can build into organically versus acquire those. And so those, that's the type of work really thinking about, you know, unmet consumer needs that I've done over the past 15 years. And when I had an opportunity to join as a co-founder of Above Food, I, I, I snapped at the opportunity because of what I've just described. Vertical integration for, for me is one of the important ways where we can think about sustainability and then we can think about bringing these types of nutritious foods to more people. If you don't own your own supply, you don't have control over one of the most important levers, which is unit economics. You're beholden to the commodities markets and you can't inform the type of, of custody and control and then and therefore the decisions about how this food is treated. And so I jumped at the opportunity as a brand builder, as a as an operator to lead the charge in terms of bringing what, you know, we call kind of, you know, the, the third chapter of plant-based, you know, into the world. Now, with plant-based foods, was that something that you had already kind of been thinking about before that point or was kind of when you came into the company's was that kind of the moment at which you started to think about, huh, plant-based foods? Or, you know, was it something that you had been thinking about from long before that going, you know what, plant-based foods is the direction we need to be moving in? Yes and yes, I'd say. <laughs> I, you know, I think that, so 15 years ago, my wife and I started down a journey where you know, we were trying to be as healthy as we, we possibly could, right? Now in the industry, that's called biohacking. Back then, we were just seen as like, massive food nerds. <laughs> and and a lot of the decisions we were making, right? This was before we had kids. We had, you know, been married a, a number of years at that point. We're introducing more plants to our diet. So how do you remove some of the starchy carbohydrates? How do you add more plants? How do you diversify the amount of plants? How do you think about if you're going to eat animal protein? How do you think about, you know, sources that are a more sustainable, more nutritious and and ultimately care about the animals? And so we started down this journey 15 years ago. So I guess it was a foregone conclusion that the answer would be plant-based foods. What's the question? Because we've been on this journey for a long time. You know, I happen to believe that, you know, adding more plants to your diet, and, and I think the evidence is quite clear, right? You know, people aren't eating plant-based because they, they don't want to be healthy. The opposite is true. And it's, it's clear that, you know, certainly you're not going to go on a diet of just kale, 
right? There's, it's high in oxalates. Those aren't necessarily that great for us. Plants themselves have defense mechanisms. They don't want you to eat them. And so, you know, kale, yeah, that's why you have to cook certain foods certain ways in order to get rid of some of those, you know, natural plant protectors. But, you know, plant-based foods is just a big part of our lifestyle. You know, I, I, won't, I won't sit here and tell you that I'm a vegan and that I'm only plant-based because we do eat some animal-based protein sources, but almost... 90% of our diet would be plants. And we've seen profound impacts on our own health. Now, I understand that's, you know, we've got four people in our family. We've extended that to, you know, our extended family and, you know, the grandparents. And and so, you know, an N of call it 20, but you see the outcome, you know, we don't get sick. We don't have any, any type of long-term health issues. We're never using the health system. It's unnecessary because we really believe that food is medicine. And so, to your question around, you know, plant-based as a, as a vocation, I guess I get to do what I love to do, which is read about, study, create foods that are densely nutritious for a living. And I get to bring those foods to a massive audience that I think they can benefit their lives. Like how amazing is that? Yeah, absolutely. Now, when I think a lot of people hear plant-based alternatives, almost everybody instantly thinks of you know, beyond and impossible. How are you guys different? How do you guys differentiate yourselves from those plant-based alternative products? It's a good question. Uh, we're, I mean, we're, and we're asked this question a lot, and it's it's tough to divorce plant-based as a as a concept from you know the nine hundred pound gorillas, the the impossibles, the beyonds, and credit where credit is due. They've done an incredible job building the story in in the consumer kind of zeitgeist around like plant-based alternatives that aren't cardboard. Because if we think back to you know, I, I was vegetarian for a number of years in the in the '90s, and you're all you know the options were cardboard burgers that really felt like a compromise. And now you've got the beyonds and the impossibles that have said, actually, these can be indulgent. These can taste close. They can have performance and mouthfeel that, you know, doesn't feel like a compromise. And I think that's incredible, but we need to consider two other variables, right? Yes, I want to eat more plants. And so I'm going to have foods that, you know, cool. It's got, you know, 24 ingredients. I've, I can't pronounce half of them. So that one thing is like, why do we need to say a vote for sustainability or a vote for our health? Like it's a false binary. Why do we need to make people make that choice? And that's currently a lot of the choices that are, that exist for consumers. I can either vote for the health of the planet or I can vote for my own health. And very few businesses are really thinking about how do you create products or solutions that don't require that compromise. And so when we think about differentiation, you know, I've spent my entire career in competitive mass markets. And it's clear that we've now, you know, now made the jump from an interesting, you know, niche market in, in plant-based foods to a mass market, right? We've now, it's, it's clear we've cross that transom. And I spent my entire career in, you know, creating differentiated propositions in mature mass markets. That's a, that's a mouthful. The reality <laughs> is like, you know, how do you create differentiation? Well, create something that is interesting, that provides a solution to a problem that people will want to buy again. I mean, it's not rocket science. And so the way that we do that isn't trying to say, well, we've got 22 grams of protein relative to, you know, our competitors, 21, or we've got eight grams of five, because those are really incremental attributes. That's a race to the bottom. Ultimately, someone next season will come in and then they'll have an increment that's better than yours. You really need to think about it from a systems point of view. The system that underpins all of our decisions is really one that is, you know, built on a foundation of sustainability. You know, we'll talk probably a little later around no-till agriculture and regenerative agriculture and how that actually has a profound impact on our environment. We we have, you know, the second pillar of our foundation is traceability. Traceable. So how do you engender a greater degree of trust in the food system? Well, provide the end user's insight into the decisions you're making and where this food came from. And the third is nutrient density. Now, this is at a systems level. We're not talking about individual product attributes. We're talking about we've built a foundation that has these things that are innate. So when we when we go to retailers and we're talking about our products, we're talking about a system that underpins the decision. Of course, we've got better proteins because we grow them. And the genetics that we get, we put in the ground are ours. Now, we're not talking about GMO. We're talking about genetics that that we have a greater insight as to what is the amino acids? What are the starch and what's the balance therein? You know, reflective of the form factor that this amazing lentil will become. That's the type of, uh, we say control in Canada, custody is, is a word that we use in America of these. So that's really where it starts. And that's the differentiation. It's at the supply level and very few brands, I would argue almost no brands globally have that degree of custody and therefore can, can make that 
those types of choices. Now, for instance, right, no-till. No-till at scale represents a carbon sink, right? It, it represents, you know, the ability to draw down carbon. It is, you know, it, clearly we've got a topsoil issue, right, depending on who you're reading. So how do you draw more carbon down into the environment? Well, no-till is a great place to start. Now, no-till on hundreds and hundreds of thousands of acres, what does that do? What type of carbon sink does that represent? So, you know, when we think about when we think about the system, right, we think about we want to have custody of the best plant proteins and then we get to make different choices. And so when we think about competing against some of the incumbents, naturally we're going to have better product attributes because we have a foundation that's much more solid, right? And so there's conjecture right now as to how do you quantify that idea of a carbon sink through regeneration, right? And, and depending on where you live, there's different policy. We'll get to a place where carbon is an asset. It, Like any asset, it can be bought, trade, and sold, right? And when, when we get there, we have a system that's built to, to really engender end users with the ability to, to you know, control their, their carbon, to offset their carbon through our product system. Traceability is another piece. It's clear that there's a great distrust in the food system. I think we can probably all agree. I mean, we were only talking, was it like a, a month, month and a half ago around heavy metals and baby food of all things, right? And, or it was price fixing or it was inhumane, you know, work. Like there's a great distrust that I, I don't like to use the word consumers, but we as people have with the food system because there's been a lot of bad behavior. So transparency is another piece. Like if we've got this custody of these incredible ingredients and proteins, well, what do we do with it? Right. We need to be able to provide insight and 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 show people how the proverbial sausage is made. Where were those crops grown? How were they treated? You know, when we say no no glyphosate, okay, let's show that. When we say that there's no GMOs, let's show that. Let's, you know, let's open up, you know, the the curtains and say we've got nothing to hide. And so that, you know, I think as a brand, as a as a, as a new company, you know, having that degree of confidence and being able to open it up to people to say there's there's nothing behind the curtain. So come on in and have a look. And you can, again, you can only get that if you've got custody. Right. And then the third is nutrient density. So thinking about, you know, how do we make sure that these foods are as densely nutritious as they possibly can? We don't, you know, how do we think about how they're processed? You know, we use the word destructionation a lot. It's a made up word. Right now in the industry, in order to get, you know, protein isolates, you use a, te a technology called fractionation. Fractionation, if you're not aware, basically takes the protein away from the starch. And so you've got these protein isolates, which is great because it increases the protein content. Amazing. But what is it doing to that protein as a consequence of this process? Well, I can tell you, it's denaturing it. What that means is you're subjecting it to high heat or a caustic chemical solution. Now, no one's going to put that on their label, are they? <laughs> this protein was extracted with a caustic chemical solution. Well, that's not something we want to read as consumers, is it? Sure. And yet this is what these proteins are subjected to a, a lot of times. And so we're thinking about how do you treat them gently? Right. How do you ensure that you're, you're creating whole foods that have bo both the, the macronutrient profile, the people, you know, the fiber and the, the carbs and the protein and the fat, but also from a micro, micro micronutrient profile, how are you ensuring that you're delivering those micronutrients that people want? And need. And so I think this is going to be a, a growing debate, you know, within the next 18 months about something that, that we talk a lot about, which is not all proteins created equal. Right. 21 grams of protein, depending on how it's been created in plant protein, is not the same. It's just not. And so it really depends on the system that you've built. Man, you have so many cool things that I want to talk about. And there's so many different ideas that came up. I'm not even sure which one to go at first. I mean, I guess I'll start with transparency because you talked about that one for quite a bit. So let's go with the, the transparency theme for a little bit. Do you feel like this supply chain transparency is something that we're going to see more of in all of the food industry? Do you think that there's enough pressure coming from consumers these days that this is something that we're going to start seeing more and more of? Absolutely. Absolutely. So in, in a lot of industries now, the, the, the pendulum is swift, shifted right towards consumers having or, or end users having more control control of their data control of their decisions control of of the means of production control why is it going to be any different in food and so when we think about transparency we need to think about well what do, what do you get what, and 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 what's the value or will are people pay, willing to pay for that and i think we've got evidence that says absolutely there was a study that was done in 2019 by nielsen that was try, trying to find out what are the top 10 attributes for food and so the first was taste. Well, of course, it's food. It's, it has to taste good. <laughs> You're putting it in your mouth. You expect it to taste good. That's been sure. true of food and will be true of food forever. 
Yeah. The second is value. It has to represent some sort of value, right? Am I willing to pay for this food? The third attribute, this is again, like the third most important attribute, and this is a US study, mm-hmm. so it's US centric, was traceability. Think about that. First taste, then value, then traceability. That mm-hmm. illustrates to us that there is indeed a growing demand for, you know, people want to trust the food system because how else are they getting their food? And, and so, you know, we believe that traceability is only going to grow in importance. And it's not just going to be from an end user or consumer standpoint. More and more retailers and more and more partners along the value chain require that degree of traceability and transparency, right? But very few businesses have actually been built to deliver it. Now, you've got some that it's, it, you know, we call this kind of like pop transparency where you've got, you know, a, a QR code on a pack. Yeah, we'll have that as an experience. Of course we will. But it doesn't stop just there. It's not just about showing where the food came from. It's, it's having the, the confidence that you've done as little harm or no harm throughout the process. And so I think this is what we're talking about. It's going to be demanded, this type of traceability. Now, whether that's going to be a blockchain solution in time, because you know the, the idea of visibility and traceability enabled by the blockchain, it's, it's there and we're seeing it across you know, many sectors. Don't know yet, mm-hmm. but the reality is it's coming. And if you haven't built your business to deliver that, then you're not going to be as relevant to retailers or consumers. Right. There was one more thing that I wanted to go back to also a little bit that you had talked about before having these different kinds of ingredients that are that are real, but we kind of talked about them in terms of nutritional content and using these more science based words when we talked about them. But I imagine at this point, there's a lot of people who are now imagining what exactly is it that above food is making? Are you guys doing plant-based burgers or, or what kind of foods should we be picturing here when we're picturing above food products? So the, the first thing, and I'll take a step back, like a, because we have a B2B division mm-hmm. that trades in, in, in global markets. And so I, you know, so we sell 15 ingredients into global markets already, about 300 business customers. And these are things like, you know, amazing garbanzo beans, we call them chickpeas up in Canada or lentils, you know, green, black, the best peas in the world, the best oats in the world. So it starts at that level, right? Having incredible, what we call identity preserved, uh, incredible proteins and grains. So we sell those, um, we add value to those. So, you know, they're cleaned and sorted and, and dried and, and bagged. And, and so we're adding a lot of value to them just at primary primary value. That's where it starts. But we, because we have control now, we get to translate those into ingredients. So think about an ingredient as like a proprietary formulation that goes into some of the recipes for some of the leading brands. So we're, we're, we have that part of the value chain as well. We call it branded advanced ingredients. So these are, are solving you know functional and nutritional issues that we know to be true. So consistency of supply you know, amino acid profile. Do you have all nine essential amino acids, right? And these are things like texturized pulse protein. These are things like high moisture extrusion. These are things like oat flour and oat protein, right? These are some of the ingredients. I won't go and give you a whole laundry list, but these are some of the ingredients that we provide across the value chain. And then at the other end, most of your listeners will will be thinking about, well, what, okay, so branded products, where can I get it? I'm not going to make the food. I'm not going to make a, a recipe, you know, necessarily. And so we've got we've got three brands. Our 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 regenerative organic brand is called Farmer Direct Organic. Farmer Direct Organic can be found in over 2,000 retailers in America. It is uh, regenerative organic certified, which means it's the highest standards in terms of organic practices. So, you know, in terms of sourcing, in terms of, you know, no glyphosate, no pesticides, no herbicides, farm worker fairness, ethical treatment of animals, you know, all the things that that we would care about as, you know, as, as people who care about the food system. Farmer Direct Organic has 15 products. They can be found in retailers like Sprouts Market and Whole Foods and, and things of that nature. We've got a second brand that's called Only Oats. Only Oats is, I would say it's, it's, tested at the highest gluten-free standard that exists in the industry. So the FDA tests gluten-free. To qualify as gluten-free, you have to test it 20 parts per million. Our product is tested at five parts per million or under five parts per million. And what that means is, you know, even if you have celiac, our oats can be eaten by the celiac community. Indeed, the, the Canadian Celiac Association sponsors or endorses our product because of how clean it is. Huh. Right. So when we come back to traceability, like if you like you can't do that unless you've got the ability to see your entire supply chain. So Only Oats is a brand currently only distributed in Canada. We're bringing that to America in the fall. 
And our third brand is called Eat Up. Eat Up is a is a brand that we're launching uh, this uh, this summer. We'll be launching it in e-commerce and in very select natural retailers, both in Canada and America. And to your point, these are you know incredible, very simple label solutions for animal-based uh, meats. So we've got a what we call a plant-based crumble. That's a substitute for ground beef or, or ground turkey or, or or ground chicken. It's flavored, which is which is unique. You know, it's a, a step further towards a meal solution. You know, put it on tacos, salad topper, put it in a bolognese sauce. We've got mini meatballs. Again, trying to think about what problems are we solving here? Clean label, non-GMO, soy free, nut free, vegan, obviously, GMO free. All the all the freeze. You know, again, <laughs> we don't want to we, we don't we don't want consumers to have to make any compromise. And then we've got mini sliders. So these are kind of our plant based meat. And then we've got uh, what we call high nutrient density bakery products. So we've got some pizza crusts that are outstanding. These are in the frozen aisle. These are higher protein, higher fiber. So really thinking about the macros. And then we've got a line of what we call naturally regenerative whole grains. And so think, you know, your your garbanzo beans, think oats, think lentils, but just, you know, in, in, a, in a one pound bag that natural regenerative. And this is this is something we talk about a lot right? Regenerative organic is one standard and that's farmer direct organic. Regenerative natural is a standard actually that we've pioneered that comes right, almost right underneath organic, but it doesn't require the same type of risk for farmers. And so it's, you know, glyphosate free and it's non-GMO and it's no-till and it sits just underneath. So it, it provides the same type of value for retailers and end consumers without the premium that organic represents. And that's something we're really proud of. And it's a standard that we've been working on. My, my partner, uh, Lionel Cambites, you know, and his family run an 1899 farmstead. And when we talk about, you know, at the, at the, at the outset, the, the, the new proteins, you know, his family has been pioneering how to grow these things at scale for 35 years. And so we've got the benefit of five generations of incredible agribusiness understanding and 30 years of experience understanding how to grow the most sustainable, highest quality proteins. And so at the other end, when it comes to our branded products, we just have better inputs. And so naturally we're going to have better outputs. Right. Now, we've had a couple of uh, regenerative farmers on this program before, and they've talked about all the different ways that they use their uh, regenerative farming to create better farming practices and, you know, ways of storing more carbon in the soil and things like that. You mentioned no-till on some of your farms. Mm -hmm. Also, I was also a little bit curious about your farms. Are those farms that you own? Above food, do they own those farms or do you work with regenerative farmers? So we, we don't own the farms. And so, you know, we're, we, we contract the growing under very specific protocols. And so, you know, we have incredible farming partners that Purely Canada Foods, the B2B part of our business has been working on working with for years. And, you know, the standards are no till, you've mentioned that. So, you know, tillage is really important as it, as it relates to, you know, soil, soil quality and, and building that, that soil um, back up, you know, and then it, it, standards such as, you know, how we treat the crops in terms of desiccation, how we store them, how we transport them, right? There's, there's a degree of, we call it identity preserved. And, you know, as I said, we, we contract hundreds of thousands of, of acres of, of some of the best proteins in the world. So we're not a, a farm, but we, we kind of take it from farmers. We have an incredible set of assets in Saskatchewan, which is, you know, kind of just north of, of Montana. Um, we've got the largest organic terminal, uh, ingredient terminal in Canada. We think about organics and its role in the food system. We've got the fifth largest terminal, inland terminal in Canada. So when it's really about custody at scale, and when we say identity preserved, what we're talking about is, you know, this isn't a, this isn't, we're not in the commodities business. We're in identity preserved, which means really understanding where these greens and proteins came from, treating them as an individual piece all the way through the value chain. That's kind of how we think about it. And so when we contract from farmers, it's really with that in mind. We can really trace back to the farm. We can really trace back to the protocols in place. And that's why it enables a, a degree of, of traceability that's really tough to build from scratch unless you've been doing this a long time. Yeah, I imagine when you work with so many different farms and so many farmers, it must be quite difficult to maintain that level of transparency and control over all your ingredients. The great, I mean, I'm not a farmer and I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm, I live in the city, right? Uh, I have a great deal of respect though. And I've, you know, I think about, and my, my partner, 
Lionel Cambites, as I said, 1899 Farmstead, one of the, in the Farmstead Act of Canada, his great grandfather came over. And, you know, he talks about the fact that as a, as a landowner, um, because his family does still own that land separate from, from above food, you're really the custodian. So he talks about his, you know, himself as the fourth generation and you'll just pass the land down to the fifth and sixth and so on. And I think most farmers that I've met and, and, and I would say all the farmers that we work with really have that degree of respect for the land because without, without, you know, I mean, a healthy, healthy soil equals healthy people. It's as simple as that. And, you know, this is something that's understood by all farmers. If you don't have healthy soil, you can't grow anything. You can't grow anything. You've got no food to feed your family and or your customers. And so naturally we, we need to take care of the soil. Right. Now, I've got one question that kind of comes up often. I hear a lot of people that are kind of anti-plant-based foods. They kind of come in, they look at things like Beyond and Impossible, and they say that those plant-based alternatives, those things take just as much processing or sometimes a lot more processing than other foods and argue that those foods are even more unhealthy and that plant-based foods can sometimes be even worse for you than just eating, I don't know, regular meat-based products. What do you usually say to those people? Well, I think it's it's tough to to, you know, paint everything with the same brush. You know, we're in a competitive market now and there's nuances to that argument. I would say that yeah, there's probably brands out there that aren't as sustainable as they claim to be. They're they're not necessarily more sustainable than than animal-based production and their products are likely not that healthy. But there's also a lot of brands that are making, you know, choices and are being very choiceful in 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 how they construct their products and and I would, you know, above is amongst those. We don't believe that we need to we need to create this false binary of planetary health or our own health. And I talked about this a little earlier on. Mm-hmm. Like that is it's a false binary. Why do we need consumers to make that choice? You just don't you don't. And so I think, you know, having the foundational asset of agribusiness and primary food production allows us, again, th- to make different choices. Mm-hmm. We, When we think about the system, we, we participate in a hell of a lot more of the food system. You know, we, we talk about ourselves as completely vertically integrated from seed to fork. And so the advantage we have in, in the market is just that you know, insight across the entire system. And so, you know, what I would say to people who are like, yeah, but it's not, it's like, yeah, some of it's not, and and maybe it's not designed to be, but some of it is, and, and, and we are. And when we think about that system and how we're producing, we call it destructionation because we hold ourselves to that degree of account. We don't want to have to be reliant on, on pr- practices and technologies that are indeed less sustainable. You know, who wants to buy a, a I mean, I, I remember seeing this thing on Instagram. It was like a steak and the ingredient was steak. <laughs> Fun. And then it was one of these burgers and there was, you know, 25 ingredients right. I mean, to, to destructionate means you've got to take all the starch and the micronutrients out of the protein and then only to add them back in. What? That doesn't stand to reason. I mean, so when we think about our products, when we think about our role, we think about it through the system. It's cradle to cradle, naturally. And so, you know, the idea that that we are in a circular economy is so true. And that's why we have this vertically integrated model. And so we think about our choices. We think about where in the value chain we can be less violent. We can we can impact, you know, our total sustainability. We can make choices that create whole products, whole foods. Whole foods that your grandmother and grandmother's grandmother would recognize as food. Like, why do you need a degree in nutritional science to be able to decode what goes into a lot of these products? It's absurd. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. But I do love this idea of the the systems way of thinking, because I do think that a lot of people kind of get locked into that, that false binary that you talked about. People kind of get locked into this idea of, of it's either good for us and bad for them or good for them and bad for us. But when you kind of think of the planet as a whole, we're kind of all involved in this. We're all just part of this one big system. So generally, the things that are good for the planet generally tend to be pretty good for us as well. I'm sure that's true of food, but that also is true of our energy production and other things as well. 
yeah, I mean, if if we think of ourselves as separate from nature, that's where a lot of this this you know nonsense comes from. We are indeed intrinsic to her, and therefore need to you know we, we need to govern ourselves by the same natural or natural laws. And part of that is you know how do you think about? There's a line from from the book Cradle to Cradle, and I love that book. It it, it fundamentally shifted my thinking when it came out. I probably read it ten times, and I, I probably read it you know once every couple of years since it came out. That that says everything is a resource for something else. So, you know, if you think about that, you know, the system in in those terms, then there is no byproduct. There is no thing you have to find a use for. You design the system to create useful things. And so, you know, when we think about fractionation, I, I keep picking on it and I don't mean to because I think that it, <laughs> it certainly does some good. Uh-huh. I just think it's we're early I think we're in the early innings of what that technology will be. And I don't think the long-term solution is going to be fractionation. And so I don't mean to pick on that per se. It's more of, of just the idea of fractionation as kind of a symptom of a larger issue, which is, okay, you're separating the protein from the starches, but what do you do with the starch? Now you've created a byproduct. What's the market for that? Okay, now you got to go and invent a use for it. Like, mm-hmm. why, why are we not creating these processes with byproducts in mind and usefulness in mind? You know, I love, I love upcycling. Upcycling as an idea is fabulous, but it's needed because people have designed systems where there is a greed and there is a, a surplus product that's been created as a consequence. You know, how do we think about not creating that where everything that, that is designed is designed purposefully? You know, and I think that, and I would shout out to amazing companies like Regrained and Outcast that are doing phenomenal things with, you know, what's called value added surplus product, mm-hmm. VASPs. I think it's incredible. Food waste is a massive issue. You know, I think the statistic I read is 40% of all food is thrown out. Yeah, I, I have seen that. I don't think we've got a production problem. I think we've got a distribution problem. Anyway, that's probably a conversation for yeah. for another time. Yeah, I imagine but, we could probably have a whole conversation on that alone. <laughs> but I think, you know, we, we we need to think about it as a system. And I think this is, you know, one of the one of the many reasons I love what I do is because we have custody and we participate in so many different parts of the food value chain. We naturally have to think of it from a from a different altitude, right? How are we and I'll give you a perfect example, right? If we and we heard this from a from a food scientist at, at one of the academic institutions up here in Canada. And he, he posed the question to us on a on a on a brainstorm. He's like, Well, why aren't we planting crops reflective of the type of technology that we're going to use to produce these end products, whether that's a plant-based nugget or a, a plant-based whole cut of salmon or a or a burger, like you asked before? Why are we not putting the seed in the ground reflective of the thing it's gonna become? And I thought it was, you know genius. Mm-hmm. And that's what you get when you have the type of custody that we do. From seed to fork is you can plant foods with the right starch to protein, the right amino acid composition, reflective of those types of technologies, such that you're designing as a system, you're designing for no byproduct that's going to be thrown, right? You're designing to, to be able to utilize the best technology of the day without creating an issue that you hadn't necessarily foreseen. Now, I imagine this probably sounds great to all those people out there who are already eating a lot of plant-based foods. They're eating primarily uh, vegetable-based diets, low-meat diets. What do you usually say to the people who haven't gone that step yet? Who are the people who are still eating a lot of meat in their diets? For those people, what do you usually introduce as kind of like the way in to eating more plant-based diets? Oof. Um, I know it's kind of a big question. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to, you have to pick your spots. Like we're not trying to, we're not trying to change anyone's behavior. What we're trying to provide is alternatives to make incremental change. Like we're not saying to everyone, like you must become a vegan. Like that's not what we're about. Like if you want to, awesome. We've got amazing products that'll enable that. But we're saying like, send more vegetables to your diet. Like that's probably a good idea for everybody. Just eat more plants. And so if you want to eat plants, we've got really tasty things that are made from plants. And and I we joke internally that it's not really plant-based, it's just plants. You're not based on plants, we are plants. <laughs> right? So yeah. so you know, it's how do you just create amazing tasting food that just happens to be plant-based versus it's a plant-based X. It's just awesome food that happens to be based on plants. If you have if you have something that just tastes amazing, that you feel awesome eating that, you know, it has a, has a great sustainability kind of score that makes you feel good about making that purchase. That's, that's a win on so many different kind of vectors. 
that it happens to be plant-based is just like so low down on, on the list. Like that's, it should be the least interesting part about a food that it's based on plants. The most interesting part should be that it's amazing tasting food that is created really sustainably. So it's like, you know, we, we talk about like, and this is, this is going to sound a little, a little kind of esoteric, but we, we, we talk a lot about like, let's celebrate the plantness of plants, not the meatness of plants. Yeah. Like a plant-based burger is, is okay. Interesting. But how many burgers are you going to eat in a week? Right. Like we're, we're developing products for every meal occasion because we think that if you're going to decide to meet plant-based, like just have awesome tasting food, that's more nutritious, that's more sustainable in those meal occasions. Right. And so again, like coming back to like, how would I convert someone? I probably wouldn't. I would just say, Hey, we've got awesome food. It tastes amazing. Try it. Right. Just by having the options out there, I think people generally like to try to pick the ones that are going to be the best for them. And so that includes both the taste and the health benefits. And I th here, here's one thing though. I will say it's really important to think again, coming back to systems. One of the advantages that we have because we've got custody of these plant proteins right across the value chain is how do we think about price? Because clearly it's not a sustainable solution if it's only for the top 1% of people. That's not a sustainable product. If it's, if it's 40, 30% more costly than it's meat or dairy analog, that's not a sustainable solution long-term. It's interesting and someone might give you a try, but are you going to replace that product in their cart? Likely not because you represent a premium and there's a trade-off as a consequence. And so as we think about above food and our job and our role long-term, it's thinking about unit economics. Clearly, like we're not going to try to steal share from any of the incumbents because I think there's enough of a pie here. If you can solve one of the fundamental issues, which is access and affordability, now you can bring more people into that, into that market. To your point around like one of the biggest hurdles for people is like, yeah, I'd love to try it. But I mean, that's 40% more than the ground beef that I have. Maybe I don't love beef, but I can feed my family on it. How do we think about like affordability as table stakes? Like parity of price is something we all in the industry need to be thinking about if we truly want to be a sustainable alternative uh, to the conventional products right now. And that's something we, we spend a lot of time on in, in Above Food is, is, you know, how do we think about our Eat Up brand as a premium we you know premium products taste amazing, look amazing, smell amazing, you know, the whole experience, the marketing, amazing. You know, the, the, the pa amazing packaging, bioplastics, for instance, right? But at a mid-tier price point. And so we're not representing this, this massive premium that people need to trade up into. We're saying, we're going to try to make plant-based as easy as we possibly can. It's going to be in the places that you buy groceries at prices that you want to pay. And that's kind of, you know, again, will we be able to do that initially? I don't know, candidly, but that's exactly where we're aiming long-term is to, is to solve the unit economics challenge. And you can only do that if you've got custody of the best plant proteins in the industry. And I know I keep coming back to that. It's not enough to have a vertically integrated model if you're not going to make these types of choices. There are so many great things it seems like you're doing with this business. I wonder, what is it that kind of inspires you to kind of keep pushing this front forward? You know, I think, and this is going to ring true, right? Anyone who's had children recognizes that, like, holy smokes, like now, now you've got real responsibility. Like now you have another human that you need to think about all of your choices through that lens. And I think I was profoundly impacted with the, with the, you know, the birth of our first daughter and thinking about how do I use my work, my knowledge, my experience to create a better environment broadly defined for my children. And so, you know, a lot of my work, you know, over the past, you know, 15 years has really been focused on better for you food because food is the, is the, is the kind of sandbox that I've always played in. And so how do I impact food choices and the broader food ecosystem to the positive? That's how I think about, you know, above food as a vehicle for change. Uh, and again, and, and it comes back to that systems thinking, you know, I believe that at scale, we will be able to have an incredible impact globally. Because we're rethinking and we're disrupting how food processors and food companies can and should act. And for me, this idea of leaving a legacy that 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 you know, I, I feel like I've done my part and I feel like we've 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 made an impact 
of course I want my children to be proud of me. Of course I want my family to be proud of me. I'm not doing that exclusively, but that's a big part of, of what governs, you know, a lot of, you know, the way that I think about our products, our system that we're building is the amazing impact it can have, you know, the amazing economies that we'll create in Canada, in America, as a consequence of, of just having, in a sense, it's like, go back a hundred years. This is how food companies were. They didn't have a choice. Because there weren't like these these amazing supply chains that were established. Like if you wanted to grow grains and put it into cereals, well, you probably had to grow them, right. and you probably had to mill them, and you probably had to produce them, right? And in, in a sense, like we've abstracted that, and there's so many different parts to the value chain. We're just going back to a you know a, a time where you had to have greater control because it was the only way to do things. And so you know that's what I think about, and I'm I'm you know I'm really excited like every day and to be able to make this type of, of change. And candidly, like there is a lot of money to be made in making sensible choices for the environment. It's clear. It's clear. And I, you know, I have to give credit to, to B Corp, for instance, is like illustrating to the broader kind of market that actually like this idea of the triple bottom line makes tremendous economic sense. And so how do you make that case such that you're, it's not just about like hugging a tree and saying like, you know, we want to protect the environment. It's saying, you know, good for the environment can be good business. And the two can be intrinsically linked. And, you know, credit where credit is due, B Corp coming out and saying, yeah, this is, we're going to have, you know, companies that are run better as a consequence of having a systems of checks and balances and governance. And so, you know, I, I love what they've done. I love, you know, the, the, the way that they think about, you know, corporate governance. And so, you know, not, not to give too much away, but that's something that's definitely on our minds. Is it fair to say then that you probably think about the environment quite often, if not every day? Oh my God, like a hundred million times a day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's having a big part of our business in kind of primary agriculture forces that lens. Things that I don't think about, like sitting in Toronto, you know, in the city, it's like I was talking to my partner, um, Tyler West, who runs our B2B division, you know, a few weeks ago. And he was like, yeah, the, the drought. You know, it's going to be, you know, we got to really think about these types of things. Like it, the, in, we are the environment. The environment is us. We can't divorce ourselves from it. That's where problems come in. And so, yeah, it is massively, massively influential as one of the primary stakeholders in, in our broader system. You know, we, we talk about the fact that there's, there's, we have this, this one saying that's nothing is above nature. It's absolutely true. You know, and, and so, you know, that, that helps to govern us, that helps to guide us and it helps to keep us what we say, you know, between the yellow lines. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing that, that we kind of come across a lot on this show is that we talk a lot about the environment. It's kind of the one theme that kind of connects all the episodes, right? And everybody, when they think of the environment, kind of has their own idea of what the environment is to them. Like, we all know, you know, what is the environment in terms of, you know, air, water, grass, the soil, all that kind of thing. But everybody has their own more personal definition, their own meaning of what the environment means to them. For some people, it's it's a beach that they used to visit as a kid. For others, it's maybe they used to spend a lot of time in a forest or maybe they used to go camping as a kid. Everyone has these like kind of deeply emotional meaning that they give to the environment. I wonder if there's anything like that for you. Do you have some kind of personal meaning of the environment? whether it be a memory or just a feeling or maybe an experience that you had. I don't know if there's any one, you know, seminal event. I think it's more of a theme, you know, throughout my childhood into my adulthood that, you know, when when things were tough, rocky, there was also there was always solace in in in, you know, going to a lake, hiking in the mountains, planting a garden. You know, there's 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 great catharsis in, you know, just connecting, taking your shoes off and walking through the grass. Like it's these little moments that, you know, help to illustrate that we're small, the the world is large, you know, but it's, it's so helpful. I mean, I'll give you one story that, that, you know, we are, we're really proud to be, you know, very self-sustaining in terms of vegetables. My wife is a plant whisperer. There's only one way to describe, you know, my partner. Um, she's an architect by education, by training, practiced for, for 15 years and, and uh, has been, you know, the CEO of our family. And she has a couple startups in, in teaching urban agriculture to school-aged children. And she, I call her a plant whisperer because in our 
you know, quarter acre lot here, we grow enough vegetables where we're self-sustaining seven, eight months of the year. Really? And so even just this morning, I was, I was in the back, you know, pulling weeds and, and looking at the tomatoes that are ripening on the vine and looking at kale that look more like kale palm trees than stalks of kale and looking at, at, you know, some of the lettuces and cabbages. And, and, I, and I think I'm so fortunate. I'm so fortunate that my wife has the ability and the knowledge and the fortitude to, to make this experience for us and, and for my kids to understand that, you know, carrots don't come from a plastic bag from the grocery store. They come from the dirt in our backyard or they come from someone's labor, someone's hard work, the fact that someone had to tend to that. And I think perhaps that's part of the issue with the food system coming back to like, you know, my work and we're so divorced from it. There's, you know, we don't know where food comes from. You know, we just don't innately have that connection that unless you are on a farm, unless you are producing your own food, it, it like you go and buy it at the restaurant or at the, at the grocery store and we don't pay much mind to where it came from. So to your question around what does the environment mean to me? It's, it's everything from, from mentor to confidant to inspiration to sustenance and, and, and kind of everything in between. And I know that's a big answer, but it's profound. And, you know, we're, we're super fortunate that, that I've got this incredible partner who has this incredible ability. And so when I think about eating more plants, like I've got neighbors that come to our backyard and their kids are eating kale. They're like, this kid doesn't eat anything green. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, it's right there. And it's like, it's not in a bag that you're for like, it's just right there. It's just something they can pick and they're, you know, it feels like an indiscretion. Yeah. You know? or, and so, you know, my, my wife will say that, you know, these kids, when they grow something, there's so much pride in that, you know, pride of accomplishment of having kind of done that. And I think there's something amazing that we've lost because of the distance we have from, from nature and from the food system. So that's what, you know, coming back to your question, like that's so profoundly, you know, impactful. You know, I happen to come from a family where my father actually went to school for forestry. And so like, you know, the environment and being in nature and learning about it and, and, you know, certainly camping, but hiking and just like being in nature was just what we did. And it wasn't like we're going to nature to be in nature. It was just like, we are nature. So we're just going to go and like go hike and yeah. go barefoot, be a bit more feral. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm hearing so many different things in there. I'm hearing pride from being able to produce all of this food. I'm, I'm hearing this kind of pride of being able to have that opportunity to teach your own family about foods and growing foods and how intimately connected we are to nature. That sounds like you experience so many positive feelings and emotions from just that one little garden. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just this one little garden, but it's, you know, it's, it's a slice of heaven. It's and it, and it, it can't not impact our thinking as, as I think about, you know, my, my role as a, as a leader within a, you know, a larger company. It's like, how do we provide those opportunities for people to have access to real food that's been produced very considerately and produced in a system that, that really pays attention to Everything within that system, from farm worker fairness to um, land, you know, positive land husbandry to, you know, how we treat the environment to no tillage, right? It's really important that we understand where our food comes from. You know, I think this whole movement towards plant-based might indeed be a be a be a cry for. I just want to be more connected to the environment, and 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 we know that you know, in, in, intrinsically, plants have a lot of value. You know, plant. You know, I. I Food as medicine is something I'm sure you've heard on on your show, and certainly your listeners have heard again and again and again. And it's true, you know, food was the first medicine. Hippocrates coined that phrase 2,500 years ago in Larissa, Greece. Let food be thine medicine. And I, you know, I think that that's part of how we think about uh, above and how we can think. I mean, it, it might even just say, "Let nature be thine medicine." Right? Food as a part of something bigger, but you know, there's something in you know. I don't know anyone that goes into nature and is like, damn, I feel super stressed out about having to go into nature. Like this, who I can't wait to get back to my desk. Yeah. What I'm hearing now is that it, it sounds like you really feel a sense of, of joy over the stewardship that comes from producing food. Oh, my, it's such a privilege. I, and, and it, you know, as I said, I've, I've worked in a lot of different parts of the food system from, you know, food service all throughout high school and, and, and university to grocery retail. And, and it is a privilege to be able to feed people. 
If you think about, you know, when you have people at your house, what's the thing you tend to do? You give them food, you give them drink. It is, it is perhaps the most intimate way outside of being intimate that you can, you know, show your love for someone to feed them. And I think it's such a, an amazing thing to be able to do that at a, at a scale with the belief that you're actually creating densely nutritious products that require no trade-offs. Like I'm super proud of all of the things. And I think you want to be proud of your work. I've certainly not been this prideful my entire career, but I'm in a point right now with Above Food and the work that we're doing that I'm, we're really proud of being able to do this. And it shows, I think it shows in the product. It shows certainly in the culture. It shows in the relationships that, that we're building with our shareholders and, and, and with, you know, our partners, uh, right across the value chain that we do care a great deal. Amazing. Now what I'm hearing. So now I'm hearing a lot about this connection to nature, that sense of stewardship, that sense of pride, that sense of intimacy with the environment thinking about those feelings and kind of holding those feelings in your heart, I wonder, based on those feelings, and again, this is totally optional, this is not something you must do, but is there something that you can think of that you could do to kind of act on those feelings? Now, we have a few conditions here. It doesn't have to be the biggest thing, because that's usually where people go. People usually think of like, what's the most important, most impactful thing I can do? You do not have to try to solve climate change overnight. This is not about how big or how small the action is, but that you're doing something that is meaningful to you while you're thinking about those feelings of pride and connection. The point is to act on something that you care about because the environment in the end reacts to our actions and not just our beliefs. So mm. it has to be a new behavior, something that you're not already doing, um, preferably something that's measurable so that we can kind of define when you've finished it um, and something that you do yourself. That is, it can't just be telling other people to do something. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that you have that maybe you've always wanted to try or uh, something you wanted to do with your family? I have always been fascinated by either very minimal or zero waste households. When I was in my, uh, my undergrad, I went to school for design, industrial design, actually, design of products. And, oh, one wow. of our, and one of our professors had a zero waste household. So they just didn't allow single-use plastics into the house. And I've always been enamored by this idea, never really tackled it. Yes, of course, you know, we've got a worm bin for our food waste and we've got, you know, compost in our, in our backyard and we've got an incredible, you know, food waste program in, in the city that I live in. But, you know, I think it goes further. We still produce a lot of garbage. And so, you know, the thing that I'm really keen to dig into is how do, like, what are the choices we would need to make? you know, at a, at a hour by hour, day by day, week by week to even just do it for a month. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't, and I don't know what the time frame is for this challenge for you guys, but like, that's the thing that I would be really keen to tackle as a family. How do we, what, and just to understand the choices one would need to make to have zero waste, zero, zero, you know, garbage produced, not necessarily recycling, but zero garbage. You know, that's something that I would be really keen to understand. Well, that sounds excellent. Yeah. I mean, we try to be really, really flexible here. We're not doing this for us. We want to try to help you and we want to try to lead others into trying something. And again, the point is not necessarily to do it forever, but just like you said, we find that for most of the time, it's better to just act, to just do it. And then you will learn kind of all the things that are involved, the decisions that you have to make, all the things that you have to do in order to accomplish that thing. And, you know, not everybody comes back having, you know, 100% great success. Some people come back and say, you know what, I ended up not being able to do it, but I learned this and this, and it now made me more conscious about these things, you know. So we find that, you know, it's good to just just act, just do it and learn as you go. Well, that's the thing. What I'm keen to understand most, and this is, this is, it's less about the outcome and more about the process. How does one need to conduct themselves or comport themselves day to day in order to allow them, you know, allow for that as a system? So, you know, we, 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 
so I'm keen to dig in. Like this is something, this is a, this is a system level problem as in terms of mm -hmm. lifestyle. You know, the, the, the fact is we, we don't leave the house as often with COVID and, and now that we're kind of getting back to normal. So it, it, I almost feel like there's a bit of a hack there right? because we're <laughs> not out as often. We're certainly not eating out. And so there's none of that in terms of, of waste. But yeah, I would be, I would love to do that. And I think, you know, my partner would be completely on board and, and I think the kids will be a tough sell, but we'll get, <laughs> we'll get them there. Great. Let's try it. So now the thing that we need to do is we need to make it a SMART goal. I don't know if you've ever heard of a SMART goal before. I sure have. Yeah. Specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time-bound. So we want to try to define how much, by when, how long do you want to do it? What, what do you think would be good? It's totally up to you. One I week think is fine? I, no, I, I like go big or go home. All right. Like, I, think, I think uh, a month and, you know, I think that, I don't know if it's by weight or volume, but, you know, I think the, the way I would think about the, the measurable is I don't really, like, I, we've got a, a, a gr is it green, yes, we've got a green bin that we put out every two weeks for garbage collection. Mm -hmm. And I think the measure is, I don't want to put that out Ooh. at all. I don't want to okay. put it out. I don't want to produce any garbage. Wow. All now, right. I'm not going to go put it in my neighbors because that's cheating. <laughs> uh, it's easy, but like, I don't like, that's for me, like, that's the challenge. Like increment, like we could do it incrementally, but like that, I, I want to learn from this experience. And so, yeah, I think that is, I don't want to put any waste in that bin for the month of, let's say that, you know, in terms of, of, you know, the month of, of, well, what, what is it today? Today is okay. So a month from now, a month from now. All right, just jumping straight into the deep end. Only one way to learn. <laughs> All right, let's do it. So let's say from today, one month, zero waste. You're going to try to zero. do no, no garbage in the bin. No garbage in the bin. All right. No garbage in the bin. And no cheating, no putting it in your uh, neighbor's bins. And, and, <laughs> and, and no like, you know, yeah, I think that's it. No garbage in the bin. We'll trust. So, we'll trust that you can do that. <laughs> I'll take photographs. I will literally, I'll document this. Great. That is what we love to hear. We love to hear the enthusiasm. I think that, well, it's, it's the insights that one can gain as a consequence of going through a challenge like this, I think are profound. Great. Well, I'd love to hear how it goes. Um, if you don't mind, we'd love to have you on a second time just to talk about how your challenge went. And uh, if that's something you'd be willing to do, what do you think? I think that'd be great. I am, I, I love, I love the accountability that that's going to drive. Cause one thing to say, yeah, we're going to go zero waste. If you got to come back and report out against it. Sure. All right. Well then after we hit the stop button on this recording, then maybe we can just spend a minute uh, scheduling a second talk to hear about how that challenge went. I'm I love it. I love it. it. My, my kids, I'm going to, I'm going to record their, their experience when I tell them. <laughs> I'll be looking forward to that video as well. <laughs> Where can people go to learn more about you or Above Food? You can find us at abovefood.com. You can find us at above underscore food on Instagram. You can find us at uh, on LinkedIn. You can find us on Facebook. And you can find our products at some of your natural grocer retailers uh, across the nation currently. And coming this summer, you'll be able to find our Eat Up brand at select natural grocery retailers. Great. Is there anything you wanted to mention that I didn't think to bring up during the conversation or is there something that you want to tell the listeners? Yeah, there's one last thing is it's not about change per se. It's about incremental improvement. And so, you know, we're not saying turn vegan tomorrow. What we're saying is if someone wants to, is curious, plant curious, we've got incredible solutions for them that requires zero compromise, both to the health of the planet and for your own health. Martin Williams, thank you so much for coming on. That was a great talk. I really enjoyed it. And I'm really looking forward to having another talk with you. Well, thank you for having me on. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Martin Williams is someone who has such a huge depth of knowledge in his industry. He knows so much about food. And not just food, but everything connected to it. How it interacts with your body. How to market it. How it's produced. How its production affects the environment. Talking with him and mining that depth of knowledge about food was just a joy. He truly is inspiring, and I hope he's able to tackle his challenge. 
I feel like he's gonna accomplish it and probably even take it to the next step. He's such a powerful person with so much initiative. I'm really excited for my next talk with him. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Martin. I can't wait to talk to you again. And thank all of you for listening. If you want to connect with me on social media and continue the sustainability conversation online, be sure to reach out to me on social media at all of the places linked below. I love having these conversations with just about anybody, so send me a message anytime. This sustainable life, Solve for Nature, is managed, produced, and hosted by me, Eugene Bible from Verdant Growth, and edited by Christine Arabal from Wander Creatives. Thanks again to everyone for supporting the show, and until next time, stay sustainable. Hey guys, Eugene here from Verdant Growth and host of This Sustainable Life, Solve for Nature. I've been doing this podcast for a few months now, and I could use some help. I just don't have the time to edit episodes like I did during the pandemic, and I've had to hire an editor. I don't have enough to pay them for as many episodes as I'd like to do per month. If you're interested in supporting me and my podcast, try donating, one time or monthly. Even one dollar helps. I love doing this show, but I can't do it as much as I'd like without your help. If you can't donate, just hit that subscribe button or tell your friends. Me and the rest of the world could use your help. Let's work together to make this planet we call home a great place through sustainability. Thank you.